Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Next Wall podcast. Uh, we are here. We are back. We are ready. I am Anthony Corbo. You can follow me at Corbo Anthony on Twitter. I've got with me the one and only Kyle Maggio. What's going on, folks? Here he is the, in, in the flesh himself. That's at Kyle Maggio on Twitter. Also joining us, as he always does, we've got the... Uh, the great Brian Giberman. What's going on, my friend? I finally got blocked by Bondi on Twitter. He did it. Yeah. <laughs> what was the uh, straw that broke the camel's back? Uh, I, I basically, he tweeted about uh, uh, like a Kevin Durant. He wrote a Kevin Durant New York media story. And I just said the media, basically the New York media isn't that tough and not that important. No one cares. Stop writing about it. You're not that important. So I got blocked. If you I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if I, I don't know what your tone was because I've been saying that stuff for a while now. I don't know if necessarily Brian's tone. I think it's just more of his aura. <laughs> my, tone, my tone is very negative and I've been, I've been tweeting things at him like a jerk for a while now. It's fine. <laughs> I deserve it. Well, if you want to uh, catch up on all of that, you can follow him at Brian Giberman on Twitter. Uh, you can follow us at the Knicks Wall at TKW Podcast. Uh, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, all that information can be found on our Twitter page. All that information can also be found at the com, or where you'll find plenty more, like our updated uh, Knicks Wall offseason simulator. Uh, our, our own Ryan Gray has added a bunch of new features to that, including a Bradley Beal trade feature. We got the Dallas Mavericks picks in there now. A um, bunch of other little updates, a lot of other ways to have fun. You know, the offseason's already starting to shape up for us, so we're uh, going to keep that updated, and we're going to keep having fun with it as we, uh, as we move along here. So uh, keep up with that. Keep up with all the great writing we have featured on there, too. Uh, I know our own Harley Geffner just took a look back on uh, some of the Knicks draft picks of the uh, past oh decade or so, just to kind of see if it's if we're looking at necessarily bad draft picks or we're bad at development or if it's a combination of the two. So uh, check out all that. Um, in the meantime, we're here. We're part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we are here to talk about the NBA Finals. So. Kawhi Leonard's in there. The Toronto Raptors are in there for the first time. Golden State Warriors are back for the first time this year. And uh, yeah, I guess we're, what's uh, what's your guys' initial reactions coming into the series? Warriors and five. Wow. Out of the gates. I like the Raptors a lot. I wouldn't mind seeing them win. I just, I have lots of questions about how they're going to defend the Warriors. Um, I don't know where you guys stand on that. And I think that's a pretty impossible question for most NBA teams, but, um, I just don't 
see how they're going to be able to get it done, especially if Durant comes back. I just don't. I just don't see them doing it because once Durant comes back, they're just going to throw Durant or Draymond on Kawhi the whole time. And we know how good and switchy the uh, Warriors defense can be too. So I just, I don't see it personally. I don't think Durant's coming back this series. I feel, with, I feel like he has to play a game or two, but no, I, don't think, I don't think he's ready. Okay. I'm with Anthony about that, about, I don't think KD is going to play. I think he's hurt. And second, the defense, the defense thing is, is interesting because I like, so you have Siakam, you got Kawhi and you got green, you got three really long guys that can guard multiple positions. You're set there. Lowry can deal with post-ups, but I don't, Steph and clay can get their shots off on them. So that's a problem. And how, and the soul they can put in pick and roll and make defend like, it, it's the switching gets kind of hard because of the soul. You can't have, so they right. can't just switch. They can't just switch everything. I don't even think with Abaka, if this isn't Abaka from three, four years ago, so they can't switch anything. They also need Danny Green to actually make shots because Van Fleet and Lowry is a, not, that's not going to work. Neither of them can guard Clay. Because Clay is just going to shoot over both of them, and Steph's going to shoot over both of them. So they have three pieces that you're like, that you would draw up in a whatever to put against the Warriors. But the other two spots, I don't see it. Yeah. And I'm not trying to like write off the Raptors either. Like they could absolutely make this a series and I wouldn't be surprised, but I just think it's a lot of, like I saw some like Raptor fan tweets about, Oh, well, you know, they didn't give us a chance against the bucks either. or They thought the bucks were going to, you know, win the series. And it's like, guys, like, the Bucks are a different dynamic because they're sort of similar in the sense that they have one star that they are based around and work around. And Lowry's the nice auxiliary piece behind him. And the rest of the team dynamic works that way. And that's kind of how the Bucks were. It was Giannis, a little bit of Chris Middleton, and that was the team. And then you get your role player contributions. And that's largely what the Raptors are, they have, you know, who the stars are or where they've run the offense through. And then it's a lot of guys hitting shots and role players. And I just don't know if that's going to, if that's ever going to be enough, you know, to beat the Warriors who even without Kevin Durant, like Stephen clay is already better than what the Raptors have. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's really tough. And especially when your defense, like the guys who are going to be tasked, with guarding those guys, like you said, you know, Steph and Clay are going to get shots up whenever they want. Like, I just don't know if this is really a good matchup for them. I'd love to be wrong because these playoffs have been really, really good as a whole. And I'd like to keep that going through the finals. I just don't see it personally. Lowry's getting up there already as it is. He's a fine defender still, but I just think he's going to, it's going to be a rough series. I think it's going to be a little rougher than people think it's going to be. And I, again, hope I'm wrong. Right. Raptors have some of the talent to really, you know, make that not the case, but it, it does worry me. You need you need those two guys that can kind of score in isolation because you limit your turnovers and you're getting more shots, obviously. And they have one of those guys in Kawhi. They don't I don't they don't have the second one. And that's why the Cavs work so well, because they had both Kyrie and LeBron who could just both take the ball and go. And they could score. It didn't matter what else is happening. Toronto only has one of those guys. Like, oh, how much? You got to maybe push Kawhi to, like, 
35 to 40% usage in this series and just pray for the best and see what happens. Just let him ISO the hell out of it. And if it works, it works. I just, I think that Kawhi is a good enough offensive. I, it's the matchup between Kawhi and, um, and Draymond is going to be really interesting. I think those guys are both like, I think that Draymond is as skilled of, of a defensive player as Kawhi is an offensive player. Uh, but I think that Kawhi is kind of at uh, another level right now. And I think that I just, there's something about him where I think that he is going to be at, he's going to be able to activate. Like, I I just think he's got this kind of motivation going into the finals, you know? And I'm interested to see if he's going to be able to take that past Draymond. Cause I think if he beats Draymond, I think that it's going to, I think that's going to be a major factor in the series. I don't, again, I don't think the Raptors necessarily have an answer for the Warriors backcourt. And that's a legendary backcourt, of course. That's, you know, it's not going to be an easy series for the Raptors to win. I don't, I'm not that taken back by Kyle saying Warriors in five. Um, I don't necessarily think this is the Raptors series to win, but, um, you know, we've seen them kind of fight through this, this kind of scenario before at a lower, you know, in lower stakes, but, I'm just uh, I, I'm really intrigued to see what the, what this ends up being like because I'm very impressed with the Raptors to this point. I think that they have a lot of uh, they have a lot of energy going into them heading up to the matchup. I think the Raptors are going to win one at home because Steph is going to have one of those games where KD isn't playing, and we know Steph's game is already kind of a high variance. And I think he's just going to go in and he's going to shoot you know, like one of those seven of 24 games where his threes just aren't falling. And then the Raptors are going to sneak one out because their defense will be stout otherwise. But aside from that, like you can't count on that happening. You know what I mean? Like you just, you can't. And again, you guys don't think Durant plays that. I think that's a fine, that's a fine take. I, I could see it going either way. I just feel like with how things have been, shaping up that he would want to try to get out there for a game or two, but obviously with what's at stake this summer makes sense if he doesn't, but um, yeah, I don't, I just don't see it. And I, I really, I really like Raptors Twitter. I I enjoy interacting with most of them. Uh, They have a really good fan base. I'd like to see them, you know, upset the, the warriors here and, and it would be a fun story, but you know, I just, what, can't talk myself into it. What you just said is really interesting, though, because Durant, it, it's funny, most players, the, the common expression is if it was the finals, they would play, right? And for most players, that like motivation would be there, like, okay, it's the NBA finals. This is, this is the, the stage. This is my shot. I got to do it. Durant doesn't have that kind of pressure or expectation on him. And it's, it's just weird that the, the inverse is kind of like, what the expectation is for him where he's like, Oh, there's too much at stakes. I can't play in the NBA finals right now. It's just, it's kind of a bizarre scenario with his free agency and his, you know, expectation to sign a multi-year max contract with whatever team, like he really does almost have too much at stake to play in the NBA finals right now. And that's kind of an extraordinary thing. Yeah, I, I guess it's just there's too much at stake this summer. We we obviously know about all the Knicks stuff. We know the Clippers are courting him. We know the Nets are going to be after him. Anybody with money is going to be after him. So I don't even really need to list them one by one. But um, I don't. I, I mean, I guess you guys are probably right because I'm thinking back to the night when the injury happened, and there was like such a hush that fell over 
the basketball world. Like for an instant when everybody kind of felt like or guessed that it may have been an Achilles injury, everybody just seemed to be like, oh, this changes everything. I know Knicks fans were just panicking and right. I mean, uh, not even for us though. Like he is the domino that everyone's waiting to fall. Yeah. Like yeah, he is I mean, what's going to set off free agency. Oh yeah. Because I mean, if he's not available, then everything goes back to Kawhi being the crown jewel. And not that he already isn't basically uh, in contention for that title, but everybody doesn't really know what Kawhi is going to do. Whereas Durant's free agency has been dissected a thousand different ways. So they're going to go all in on Kawhi and then Kyrie. And, you know, it's the entertainment business. They're going to keep the buck moving anyway. But, um, yeah, he is he is the first domino. Um, I just... Yeah, maybe it's better he doesn't play. Maybe it's better. I just wonder how that affects things with how he thinks about things. And we know he's been a little indecisive in the past. And I wonder if... If he doesn't play, there's no way he resigns. Well... I mean, well, like, I mean. The, like if, I mean Warriors, if he's not ready, then yeah, of course. But like, if, if the Warriors won without him, that's what I mean. Like, do all of a sudden, do you think he goes, okay, well, clearly they didn't need me. I've been hearing that all year. I'm out. Or do you think he goes, no, you know what? I do want to be back. Like, I, I want to prove that I, I need to be part of this still. Like, I, I don't know. Cause I feel like we can always convince ourselves of what he's thinking, but I don't know what actually matters to him in this situation. I am interested about the Kawhi thing. Like, do you think that him, do you think that his, I guess, play in this series and I guess the, the outcome of what the Raptors end up doing, uh, like how much do you think this NBA finals could necessarily impact his free agency stock? Like, could he become the number one target on the market just based off of the series alone and just based off of what the Raptors end up doing? I mean, there's no reason he shouldn't be a top priority. I don't know how teams are going to internally view this, but, you know, he's he's the engine right now for the Raptors. He's at the top of his game offensively and defensively. He, you know, gave Giannis fits, as he would almost any star in this league. You're seeing him perform at a very high level offensively. I, I don't know why he wouldn't be a top option for any of these teams. I, I don't know again, how teams are going to decide who to meet with first or who they'd want to sign. You know what I mean? But he's to me, it's not even a one, a one B thing. Like they're both one. It's just whoever you can get the meeting with basically. I think, I, I think Kawhi is going to move. It'll go somewhere pretty quickly with him. Like, I don't think he's sitting around and waiting for KD to make his decision. There's nothing that he's done in his entire career that shows that he cares about what other people think. He just does what he thinks is right for him. And I don't, I would expect that to continue. Yeah. I don't necessarily mean like, like that so much. I, I, I think it's just, you know, what options end up becoming available or not available, you know? Uh, yeah. I, I'm pretty interested to see what this final series ends up looking like too. If like somehow DeMarcus cousins comes back. Um, I, I mean, there's been some discussion of whether he's ready. And I, I just feel like the timeline with all these injured warrior stars is kind of up in the air still. Like no one really knows exactly when they'll be ready. And I just, I think the warriors are kind of blowing a little bit of smoke and trying to scare the Raptors a little bit by saying like, Oh yeah, you know, Durant might be ready. And DeMarcus cousins might be ready to come back and everything. But um, yeah. I, I just, I wonder which positions are going to be 
you know, I wonder if the Raptor, if like Marcus is facilitating and you know the Raptors and like Siakam could have a good game, or if like any of the other Raptor bench players and and you know role players can really step it up to support Kawhi because they definitely like the Raptors bench definitely can outplay the Warriors bench. It's just how utilized will any of those players actually be is the question. The the injury that could that could make the possibility of this being a better series than maybe some people expect would be Iguodala. We saw it in that in the in that last game for the Blazers in Game Four. Like the Warriors had to really work to win that game with Iguodala and KD out. They're gonna have they're gonna have to do the same because the Raptors are a much better team than the Blazers. So if they don't have Iggy, I think then the Warriors or they're gonna have him. But if he's not a hundred percent and you can't use him as one of your main defenders on Kawhi and let Draymond roam around and play help defense, then you're looking then there's some matchup advantages the other way too, because you're either gonna be hurting your team defense by having to have Draymond guard Kawhi one-on-one or Kawhi is really going to be able to eat someone up. So that the Igudala being healthy and be able, being able to get it through whatever, however many games a series is probably the most important thing. If Katie isn't healthy. On the other side of it too, like the Raptors aren't necessarily complete, like Ananobi being out too is kind of an interesting factor to me. Uh, I don't know how much of an impact it would necessarily make in a finals matchup, but um, I just all the help they can get throwing at like that position at slowing down, you know, Draymond and, you know, even be able to help out with the Warriors, you know, with Klay Thompson or even switching out to Steph Curry and stuff like that. Like, I just feel like the Raptors could use all the defensive help they can get and having a, you know, capable wing player like that out. It's got, it, I think might actually make an impact in this finals matchup. Yeah, I think people kind of sleep on playoff Iguodala. Like, he just takes the entire regular season off the last couple of years, and then he's just in peak form come playoff time. And he's he's just very important. I think we talked about it a couple of pods ago for when they played the Blazers, but he's just very important to what they do. Like, people always talk about the main guys, and rightfully so, but, like, Iguodala's right there. Like, he's a big part of that system that they have there. I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see who ends up, uh, you know, who ends up being the difference maker here. There, there's, there's a part of me that thinks it's nece- it's not necessarily going to be the, you know, whether, like a Steph Curry or a Kawhi Leonard series, like, ne- like all, like I think there might be some interesting players that kind of come out here, like, uh, you know, I think that Siakam might have a be able to kind of exploit a little bit of that, the, uh, you know, get pat like with. Uh, with Draymond being so concentrated on Kawhi, I think that he might have an ability to kind of like get going. And especially if Iguodala is not 100%, I could see something interesting happening there where one or the two of them could really pick up their games. And, you know, we mentioned it, but the guard play is going to be interesting. Um, yeah, inter- interesting series all moving forward. I'm, I'm happy for Toronto. I'm really glad to see them getting into this position. And, you know, what happens with them from here? I, I mean, like even if Kawhi leaves, it's you know they're in such a good spot, and it's just it's hard not to kind of be happy for them, even though they're division rivals. But whatever. I feel like the we don't have division rivals. We've been bad for so long, man. Like we don't really have division rivals. 
Like, we make a big deal about the Nets stuff, but, like, it's not really a rivalry. The Celtics stuff is not really a rivalry. Like, they've just pounded on us for a while. You know what I mean? Like you said earlier with Alex, like, or, you know. Um, later, Kyle, later. This happened later. before. Yeah. Yeah, that's why, that's why I stopped. Sorry. So we can just adjust that up. But like you said, later with uh, Alex. Oh, oh boy. No, no one's no, 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 Sorry. Just get it out. Just get it out. All right. All right. But, um. Yeah, I mean, we just haven't been good at the same times as the, you know, the Celtics and Knicks haven't been good at the same times, and it's just not much of a rivalry. Uh, the Sixers has never been a thing, aside from Melo hitting a game-winning shot on TJ McConnell. Um, like, there's just not, there's nothing there. Like, the Raptors, that's never been, a, all I remember with the Raptors growing up was, like, a d- two defunct franchises Facing off, it was like Jose Calderon versus Chris. Ooh, that's not that's not true. We we the Knicks and Raptors went at it a little bit when Vince Carter oh, was there. The nineties run, yes. And yeah, the, okay, sorry. The, the Raptors were the first team. I think it was two thousand or two thousand one, but that was or two thousand two, whatever year it was. That was the first time they didn't advance to the second round since like beginning of Ewing. And the Raptors were the team to beat them in the first round. It was it, they lost game. The Knicks lost game five at at uh, MSG. Yeah. Okay. No. I, Van Gundy was going on about. No, Van, Van Gundy was talking about that on low post before. He was saying that just they they were intense battles, even though they weren't necessarily you know recognized yeah. or remembered as fondly in in you know the Knicks fans' minds. The reason yeah, why we don't pretty, talk about it. I'm pretty sure it was they lost to the Raptors. Then the next year, Van Gundy quit. I, the, I, yeah, I, I think that was back to back. I think those were the back to back seasons. Yeah, I just don't know if it constitutes like rivalry. You know, like it, it's never it's never felt that way. Enough time has passed for sure. Like you know what I mean? Like it has to be even with the Pacers, right? The Pacers thing was a rivalry in the '90s, right? But then, do you care about the Pacers now? No, I don't care about the Heat now. I don't care about the Pacers. The I still kind I of have a vendetta against the Pacers. Like, even the Bulls, it's been too long. You know, what I mean? it's just like a, it's a weird. But and I know like the older fans are gonna maybe feel differently. I get it, but like for people who are younger than thirty, like we don't like we were kids when a lot of these things were happening. You know what I mean? Like it 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 needs to stay consistent over a long period of time. Like it took me a while to stop hating the Pacers because that was a more intense rivalry. Same with the Bulls. But like when enough time goes by, it's just like, yeah, I mean, nobody gives a fuck about Zach Levine and Vic Oladipo is one of my favorite players, you know, before he joined there. So it's like, eventually you just, you get over it because there's supposed to be new rivalries, but the Knicks haven't been good enough for that. So I find myself having like disdain for individual franchises, but being, you know, actually really, really enjoying the players that they have on the teams. So it's, just a silly way to be after a while you yeah, have I mean, to do you have to accept all the grain of salt I, the celtics are the only team that i'll always hate like to be quite right. honest because it's not even a division rivalry thing like they just always beat the shit out of us as long as i can remember paul pierce always bothered me as long as i can remember like they've had annoying like, even kevin garnett who's the dirty scrappy guy who you love to have on your team but hate to play against and he's setting his illegal screens against us in the playoffs it's more like, game winner. It's like I hate them, right? But 
they don't hate us because they always beat us. It's not a rivalry. Well, it's like a one-sided thing. Right. We definitely uh, may touch on that with Alex uh, later on in the pod. But I, fe- I think it's kind of even more of like, these are, you don't really hate the teams who give you a true rivalry on the court. You hate the teams whose like, fans shit talk you because you shit talk them. You know, like it's like Boston fans are going to be the first ones to, you know, rub it in Knicks fans face. Like, you know, if these lofty expectations of this offseason doesn't come true and like, you know, Knicks fans, obviously like, you know, were the first ones to come at the Celtics when they, you know, were bounced out of the playoffs unceremoniously this year. And it's just, I think it's more of the, the kinds of franchises and fan bases who come at you off the court are going to do the one to leave the bigger impact. Like you don't feel the heat, uh, you know, rivalry as much because, you know, I, I, what heat fan necessarily feels the same way about the Knicks. It's, it's, there's a lot of one-sided rivalries. It feels like going on here and it's just, it's better to enjoy these other teams because they have built something interesting and just watch a decent game of basketball. You know, We are going to go to our first interview of the night. We're going to be speaking to Alex Kungu about the Celtics, who we uh, very much has had some uh, some pretty strong opinions on. Um, he will fill you in that it is not necessarily, uh, you know, it, the feeling is not necessarily mutual. Uh, I feel like it's a little bit of like that meme that's, uh, you know, like the I don't even think about you at all kind of meme or whatever. Uh, anyway. We are going to talk to Alex now, but first, uh, here is a little something from Blue Wire, our own home network. Hey, this is Jason Pat, co-host of the Cash Considerations podcast. Check out my podcast and others on the network by searching Blue Wire on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcast players. All right, everyone, we're back with Alex Kungu. You are a writer over at the Stepian, uh, Celtics blog on SB Nation. Uh, your Twitter is at Kungu MBA. What's going on, man? How are you? Not too much. Just enjoying the finals and seeing how it looks like for good teams to play basketball. I mean, you you at least got somewhere this year. Hey, you know, we say, haven't... I don't know what you're complaining about. That's us the entire NBA season. <laughs> Hey, look, it's a lot easier to know where you are than to like expect one thing and then turn into the wizards. You don't ever want to turn full wizards, and that's and oh that's, my and god. <laughs> yeah, you guys are hundred percent the wizards. That's, that's, that's spot on as it's it can be. Kind of clicking. It's just like such a strange like development from the like you know John Wall Isaiah Thomas uh, series from uh, you know not too long ago to see you guys full, go full wizards and for what that means these days it's just man we are we are in quite the state of the nba right now yes things are very interesting going on but you know (laughs) aside for that i'm well enjoying life well we brought you here to talk about the boston celtics and there are i think that can be a bit of a loaded topic between some knicks fans and some celtics fans uh I, I guess on your side of things, and I know how 
you know, maybe barring the last couple of years or including the last couple of years, whatever, Knicks fans seem to have a big agitation against the Celtics. I feel like that's not quite as returned on the Celtics side towards Knicks fans. Yeah, that's actually that? news to me. I did not know that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's a whole, like, I know there's definitely like the New York Boston rivalry thing, but I've just, it's always felt to me like New York has more of a rivalry against Boston and Boston kind of just doesn't really care. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, in terms of basketball, I just think we just don't have much, like, at least contemporary history with our both our teams being good at the same time. So, yeah. They've never really synced up. Agreed. Yeah, thinking back, there's, like, rarely I can even think in history of very many Knicks-Celtics series that, you know, that are memorable, at least. It, it's simply the Boston-New York connection and then Paul Pierce torturing yeah. us for a decade. Like, that's that's basically what it comes <laughs> down to. Um, But there, you know, there's obviously about to be a, a little bit of... uh. You know, there, there's going to be some bad blood when it comes to Kyrie Irving one way or the other. Come, you know, going right into it. Then, you know, Kyrie to me doesn't seem to be in the best standings in Boston right now. And it seems to be a bit of a domino effect and a trickle down thing from like, you know, just how the season began all the way to how the season ended. But um, I guess Ky- to you, Kyrie Irving, is, is he long for Boston or is he already got to put out the door? I think he's gone. I don't even, I don't think this is really, I think when he signs with wherever he signs with, which I'm, I don't think it's Boston. I'm just very sure it's not Boston. If that makes any sense. It just, it has the feel like the way it ended, kind of the comments leading up to it, kind of like the decommitting, um, all the talk you hear, which is just not people making up stuff as much as Boston fans would like to believe. Like there's, there, there's a lot of smoke there. So my feeling is that he's out, and I think he's going to evaluate the situation, see where some other pieces land first before making a decision. So, what that, would you what would you say is Boston's like plan Plan A, Plan B, Plan C? How how do you see them going about attacking the off season? I think Boston has two paths. One is they get they try to trade for ad get him hopefully and then they hope that can get Kyrie to come back and they commit to a full out like win now type of path and then hold on before you go to plan b what is the package that you think it would take to get anthony davis and is that something you're willing to give up yeah, so I think the package is definitely going to be something that includes all of the Celtics' young prospects that are meaningful. So Marcus Smart, Tatum, and Brown, just off the bat, probably the Kings lottery pick. They probably they probably want the two picks in the 20s just because they'd be doing a full reset. And honestly, after seeing the way these like a team like the Raptors, for example, went all in on a top five player and seeing them re- them reap the benefits of that. I'm of the mindset that you should just give up whatever it is to get one of those players because when you have one of those players, building around them, doing all that stuff becomes much easier if you have like a good staff doing that. So whatever price it would take to get Anthony Davis on me, I can't speak for I'm not speaking for Celtics Nation because I, I don't think they agree with this. But for me, I would trade anything. And then what was the second? What was plan B? So plan B is Kyrie leaves, like I think. Um, they don't get AD because it becomes too big of a risk now that they don't have a second star to pair him with. 
and they have to make a decision on Al Horford, who is going to want to be in a win-now situation, and they have to either convince him that they are on a quick turnaround or um, letting him go, or he might just choose to go and, you know, find greener pastures elsewhere. But basically the gist of that plan is committing to the young, committing to the young guys and resetting the clock back for how, how many years I'm not, I'm unsure, but those are kind of the two paths for me. It's either you're going to win now and commit to that path, or you're going to go young and then commit to that path. I'm kind of glad you brought up, in the point A about trading for Anthony Davis and I have to give up all the youngsters right off the bat because that's something that a lot of Knicks fans don't seem to comprehend. Um, you can't give up the things that you don't want and then land a star player. Like you have to give up stuff that you like, that's actually good. So like, yeah, like it, it would suck for Celtics fans to see, you know, prospects that they probably have some sort of attachment to, but that's kind of the cost of doing business just is what it is. Like we'll tweet anything out about an Anthony Davis trade and people just lose their shit about selling the farm and this and that. And it's like, guys, like this is, this is the cost of doing business. This is how you get there. So. Yeah. And I mean, it's just like, you just come to the, to to these points of the years and the playoffs and you're just seeing like who really matters. And again, it's the team that went all in the Raptors who went all in for stars for their star. And look at them now, like they got over the hump. They're in, they're in the finals now. And that's because they were unafraid to give up whatever they need to give up to attain a top five player. So that really guides my mindset coming into this off season. I mean, I'm I'm interested to see like if Kawhi, propelling the Raptors to the finals makes teams like, will will that make teams like the price, the price of superstar would be a lot higher for, for teams trying to acquire them. Cause when you look at the, I know Kawhi had a lot of baggage coming out of the season that, you know, he was essentially out for in the disagreement with the Spurs and everything. But, um, you know, like they still had Siakam at the, at the end of the day, they still had, you know, Van Vliet. They still had like all these players that came up. They didn't, you know, lose everybody in that trade. And I wonder if that's going to lead to like, you know, the teams with the superstars who want out, who know that their player could t- easily take a team to the finals uh, with, you know, just the right amount around them. Will that make the, the price for those players be a lot higher where you, you really do have to sell the entire farm now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think if you reverse it back to last summer, I don't. I think the Sixers and Celtics are really kicking themselves that they were so steadfast on keeping their young cores as opposed to just going for this guy. Because even if Kawhi leaves at the end of the summer, like I don't think any Raptors fans would be upset with the result that they got. I don't think they'd be that they'd be upset with the season that happened. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think this is going to really just reaffirm the reason why people go all out for top five players. I'm kind of surprised that you think Kyrie's going to go because I'm opposite. Like, I don't, I think he's just, and, and you would know better than me because you cover them day to day, but he just strikes me as like the weird dude who resigns after all that shit happens. And I there's already more financial incentive for him to stay too, so... I don't know. Like a lot of Knicks fans seem to think that him and KD are like a slam dunk. They come if they come, they're coming together. Like that, that's a thing. And I'm, I've kind of just been like, hey man, like the Durant stuff seems kind of legit. I still don't really full on believe it, but it seems the most legit. The Kyrie stuff has always been like an added bonus to me. I, I personally didn't see it happening. At least, in, I mean, it's not a guarantee that he comes here, 
you know, it could be a guarantee that he leaves, let's say. But I don't know. It just felt like to me like that's a weird way to leave off after wanting your own team. So I could just very easily see him come back and maybe saying, hey, you guys got to go get me AD or something. And maybe they reshuffle the deck that way. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. I'm not, I don't think like it's completely out of the question that he comes back or resigns. It just doesn't feel it. And I don't know that it just doesn't feel it. It didn't come off like this is something where it's like he would want to come back. So I feel like he's seen what he needs to see from this team. He was here for two years. He saw it. I don't know how much faith, how much faith he has in like, say like a Gordon Hayward or how far he thinks Al Horford can take him, or if this is the city that he wants to spend the rest of his prime in, which I'm sure means a lot to him. So it's just, I don't know. And I mean, a lot of the, a, a lot of these big stars, once they start looking around to me, like once he starts scheduling business, business with other teams, I kind of seem as good as gone. I mean, I think the last star star who I think took tours around and still came back to his team was mellow. If I'm not mistaken, but most of like most of the time, like when they start have having the wandering eyes, is because they've seen what's there, and it's not it's not for them. It's not what they like. So that's kind of guiding my opinion on why I think he's going to leave. All right, Alex, you also write for the Stepian. So with the third pick, what what's just your overview of what you think the Knicks should do? I don't think you should overthink this one. I just think you pick John Moran or R.J. Barrett. Like I don't, I don't. Yeah. Like let's not let's not overthink this. Like let's not get into like the weeds of DeAndre Hunter, Darius Garland, like John Moran, or RJ Barrett. Whichever one comes to you, take them and go from there. I tend to agree with that, at least on the value aspect of it. Where you know, I, I think that either of those two players available will be able to net you whoever comes behind them and more if you really want to go for those players, whether you trade down you know, before or after the draft. But um, I there's a lot of value, I think, to the Knicks just kind of going with the most surefire thing and you know trying to make it happen. Because we even, you know, we haven't picked this high in a while. And the last high pick we had, you know, it was obviously Porzingis. And that was a gamble at the time that, you know, whether or not it really ends up paying off for the Knicks is, is you know, still a question, but at least you could, the value came true on that. And we want to make sure that that value comes through this time as well. Yeah, um, I, I, I think RJ, and I've said this on the pod before, and I know Brian wants to debate a separate point tonight, but um, I, I think RJ, as much as people think that there's this bust, there's always a bust potential for any prospect, but as much, people have kind of brought it up a lot with RJ, kind of to his inefficiency. And to me, I, I kind of think the opposite. I think he does enough in his floor game with rebounding well for his position, passing well for his position. Um, to me, that kind of makes him a safer pick. Like if he was like, you know, Wiggins coming out of college where he could only shoot in bunches and he wasn't passing or rebounding all that well, then, you know, sure, that's that's fine. I, I can see why you'd be scared. But like, you know, he averaged almost eight rebounds a game as like a lead guard and got you almost five assists a game as a lead guard. In addition to being a volume scorer, like that seems pretty safe. Like I'm with you. I don't see why we need to overthink it. And even if you're going to move the pick, even if you don't personally love him, um, if you're the Knicks, like, do you know that there's going to be tons of teams clamoring for that kind of talent, you know, whether it's a trade or something else. So I just think that's, this is like a layup. Like even they can't fuck this one. Yeah. Up. And I mean, I would just add another big thing I've learned through 
going through this draft process is so much of this is about the actual player and how coachable they are, how hard they work, how willing they are to get better and kind of work on their stuff. And anything you hear about RJ Barrett is always about his work ethic, is always about his willingness to get better. Um, he worked out with Drew, he's, he's working out with Drew Hanlon. And Hanlon said he was one of like the most well-prepared dude he's ever worked with. And that's coming from a guy who's coached Bradley Bill, Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, Myers Leonard, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like you're getting in a guy who's going to come in, be the position that you want, is an absolute hard worker. And that's kind of the guy that like you can start building a foundation with, even if you don't get the big stars with, like you can still kind of go in to next year with like Smith, um, Knox, RJ, and you know, like you start building up like your young core. So to me, I think that's that's definitely the pick there. Uh, Alex, last thing before we uh, before we get you out of here tonight, uh, just to circle back to Kyrie for one second. I it really feels like what's in the. It feels like it's kind of the writing is that he's out on Boston, but the only other name that I can that's been really coming up lately is the Knicks, and I, it, I'm finding a hard time kind of figuring out what the other location that might be other than us. Like if if you're in our position, who do you think that the biggest competition for his services will be? Well, open your window and look across wherever you are, the Brooklyn nuts. That's, mm. I mean, um, I think the one thing that they offer is kind of that same kind of thing that drew him to Boston, where it's kind of like, uh, they have the stable like front office ownership. They kind of play like this. Everyone touches the basketball, like Warriors' style. Um, they kind of have a modernized game, but they also kind of put a lot of their offense in, into their dominant guard. And then they kind of have a lot of the advantages of being in New York that he liked. So I think Brooklyn is going to be there. Um, David Griffin even mentioned that he he he'd like the style in Brooklyn better as better so if he was sleep boston so that's that that's where i see your main conversation for Kyrie coming from like can you convince him that um what you guys have to offer and being playing a madison square garden being a nick wearing the nick colors is better than going to brooklyn who was just a playoff team and got d'angelo russell an all-star nod so yeah yeah I- I think there's no chance that we would ever convince him over that unless, you know, that wink, wink deal with Durant is actually a, a legitimate thing. I, I, that's the only, like, I, I don't want to sound like that guy on the next podcast and I'm going to get yelled at in like our comments and mentions tomorrow, but like that never works. It never works. Like if Durant has decided to come here and Kyrie knows it, then it works. That's it. That's all that's going to happen. We have a lot of money. We can offer you Durant if Durant so chooses to come. If you'd like that, then here here you go. We could possibly trade for a third star. That's it. That's the pitch. You know? I I again I'm gonna get killed, but I hate the whole oh well it's the Mecca of basketball. Everyone loves Madison Square Garden. I've been hearing that my entire life and nobody signs here. Just if you go out and you get the superstar like you're supposed to, if you can get the Durant, then he's gonna come. Like that's all that really matters at the end of the day. He's gonna play in a good situation. If you can't offer that, then he, like he wouldn't come alone is my thing. If it's like Durant spurns them and goes to you know goes back to the Bay or goes to the Clippers, like he's not going to sign here. Like that's, I think that's pretty evident. Yeah, and I mean, you know? I to kind of play devil's advocate with that. 
I remember during in February when he kind of had like the whole thing with the Knicks clearing the cap space and Durant was doing the weird thing where he was ducking media for like nine days. There was a report I want to I want to say by Chris Mannix where they were talk or I think it was Joe Varden. It was it was one of them. I think anyone anyone caught this up. And they were talking about Kyrie and what, why he was acting so moody. Because we're we, we were actually going well. The Celtics, they we were they were like twenty eight and fifteen. They looked like they had turned the corner, and then that whole thing of eighty and all that happened. And Kyrie's mood kind of shift, and you could see it. The, the style of play just went out the window for us. And there was a quote in there where it was like, "The thing that really makes Kyrie mad isn't isn't the is the fact that people think that." his decision is influenced by other people and he's not his own separate entity. So I think if you're trying to make a pro next argument and you don't want to believe like, Oh, it has to be a package deal. You can kind of rely on the fact that like Kyrie see Kyrie doesn't see himself as like a tier below Durant or like a tier below Kawhi or whatever. He sees himself on that level. And he might see this as like, I'm making a decision for me. Like I'm going to New York because I'm Kyrie freaking Irving and this is where I want to do with my future, and I can lead this team, put this team on my back. Like this is what I want to represent. So, you're a Knicks fan, and you and you're kind of iffy on, you know, like it has to be a pair or not. I would say just be mindful that like he's not someone who sees himself as like a supplemental piece. So he might just come just because he sees himself as a player that can just come on his own. You can find his work over on the Stepien uh, Celtics blog on SB Nation. Uh, go ahead and give him a follow at Kongu NBA, uh, Kongu underscore NBA. Alex, really appreciate you coming on with us tonight and spending the time. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me on. We're back with our final interview of the night. We're here with Brian Fonseca. You are uh, you're on the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. Your Twitter can be found at Brian Fonseca and why you have a bunch of other work in your uh, bio as well at Nets Daily. There's Slam Online, uh, MSG Networks, a, a lot of really cool projects you've worked on in the past. Uh, we're really thrilled to have you on with us tonight. How are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I'm going to try to go to sleep after this. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, well, I have okay. the, uh, un- I have the unfortunate task of editing the podcast after this. Oh, so boy. No sleep for a couple of hours. I hope you don't have to we're, get we're up good early. To go. I hope you don't have to get up early. No, no, no. We're, I'm going to roll through. I'm going to truck through. We're all good to go here. <laughs> uh, we brought you on to talk a little bit of Nets, uh, off season yep. tonight. We just had, uh, we just had Alex Kungu on with us from Celtics blog to talk a little bit of Celtics. So, we're uh, we're gonna keep it within the division tonight. Uh, we're gonna go even closer to home with uh, with our next door neighbor, the Brooklyn Nets. And I, you know, it's kind of a very interesting parallel. There's an interesting competition that's about to unfold between our two teams because mm. we both have cap space at the same time for the first time in a while, and we're both gonna be competing against a lot of the same players for a lot of the same services. So. You know, it's been very much publicized who the Knicks are going after, but I guess I want to hear from you. What, who would be your top uh, top target right now for the Nick, for the Nets to go after in free agency? Yeah, if I'm Brooklyn, I mean, 
See, this is interesting because when they were eight and eighteen earlier in the season before they started, you know, riding the ship, so to speak, I would have said, you know, I would have set the expectations a little bit lower. Uh, at that time, a lot of us were saying, "Hey, they should probably blow it up and rebuild." Us being, you know, media, we were just kind of, we were just sort of talking amongst ourselves, saying that they should probably blow this up, like it's not working out. And then they go on the streak of winning, I think, seven or eight straight games or whatever it was, and turning around their season. And now, you know, they overachieved and they made the playoffs and they have the cap space. And assuming that they find a way to get rid of Alan Crabb's contract, which is going to be easier said than done, I think that they should be able to go after, you know, whomever they may desire and. In this case, they should go after Kevin Durant. You know, he'll be the best fit out of all the free agents. Kawhi Leonard, if he's available, I think that's somebody that they could realistically get a meeting with. I think they could get meetings with all these guys because they made the playoffs. So they've established that they have that foundation there of, and they're ready for a start. They're ready for a start to join them in my estimation. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But I think, you know, the stretch four is something that they've really needed. And I think Kevin Durant would solve that. Kawhi Leonard would solve that. Um, Tobias Harris is somebody who is in that sort of B tier. But you obviously want to aim high. No disrespect to Tobias Harris. So we'll see. But I think I think they should be in the mix for pretty much anybody they want. Now, will they sign somebody? I'm not sure. But they'll be in the mix. I think that's pretty fair. Um, I, I know a lot of Knicks fans like to scoff at the Nets fans having chances, which I always think is silly because uh, look what we've done for the last 20 years. Um, but, I mean, it's it's a stable front office. You, you guys built up some of the young guys really nicely. Um, I think there's valid concerns to at least, like, the, I don't know, the, the branding standpoint when people want to go there and build, like, I guess, a bigger image. I, I guess that's a fair point because the Nets are, the Brooklyn Nets are a relatively newer brand. But even still, I don't, I think that's, if you get a big star and he's in New York, I still think that that's all that really matters at the end of the day. Um, I, I I don't know. I, I guess I'm more curious with what you think happens with D'Angelo Russell because that's something that I know that the mm-hmm. Nets love him, it seems, if I'm not mistaken, and it seems like he would like to be back and they'd want him to be back, I believe, right as the season was ending. They were talking about an extension and trying to get that done ahead of time. So what's your feeling? Do you think that he's coming back? And I guess the second part of that is, is if they sign another star, like the latest thing was him and Kyrie could play together. Do you think that's something that's going to bother him at all? Or what's your take on those things? Um, I don't know so much that D'Angelo Russell and, you know, I don't know so much that Kyrie Irving would bother him as much as I'm not sure it'll work. And I know there are reports out there that suggested that, um, you know, they they could play together and things of that nature. Uh, It's May, so I'm not going crazy. I think, you know, people could change their minds. Agents could, you know, say this and that and the third. So I'm not, you know, too hooked on what's being reported now, per se. No disrespect to, you know, all the reports that are being out there. But with him and Kyrie Irving, I like it. If I'm the Nets, that's not who I'm going after. And no disrespect to Kyrie Irving. But if I'm Brooklyn, that's the go. Right. It's kind of like a guard version of Amari and Mello. Yeah, it, it, it's all, it, it doesn't make sense. You still have Dit- – so you're going to trade Spencer Dinwiddie then, who you just re-signed, which they could do in June. Uh, You know what I mean? Or, you you know, Karis LeVert is going to be a restricted free agent next year. You're going you're gonna to sign him to a big contract after you do that? Like, I understand. it. You know, it's cute. Kyrie Irving was a net fan and all this stuff. But I've – and I've said this on my podcast a bunch of times. 
I'm in the school of, I don't think he's much better than Kemba Walker is. And I think that with Kemba Walker, you're getting the same production without the headaches. So if you're going to get a guard, not Brooklyn per se, but just any team in general, I'd be a little more tempted by Kemba Walker just because I'd be sane for those four years that I signed him for. Whereas with Kyrie Irving, I'm not entirely sure. Now, if I'm D'Angelo Russell, would I like Kyrie Irving to be my free age, uh, to be to be my teammate? I mean, I guess. Do I want to stay in Brooklyn? Sure. And I know that the Nets like him as well. I know that the Nets, I don't know what their number is, but I'm sure they have a number. And I'm sure D'Angelo Russell has another number in mind. And, you know, you got to, I guess they're going to have to wait and see who sort of is going to try and swoop in or, you know, do they want to make a deal done before that even happens? Like, I'm not sure. It's a pretty fascinating situation, and they're going to have to act on that relatively quickly because there are a couple point guard needy teams out there uh, like Chicago and Phoenix who could potentially try to put together some big offers to steal them. The, the, net, the, the Kyrie no, and net stuff has popped up here recently pretty loud. The, to me, it kind of feels like that's coming from the Nets. Am I wrong to think that, or do you think that's more on the other side of things, that he legitimately is interested in I, I do think that there is some legitimate interest, but, I mean, right now, I, like, I just don't trust a lot of things that are just being said right now just because of where we are. You know, it's still, it's still too early in the proceedings. Like, we're not even a month. We're, we're about a month out of free agency actually happening. And I don't recall at this time a few years ago knowing that oh, Kevin Durant's definitely going to Golden State. I don't think that was a common thing that was being said in May of, you know, whenever it was, 2016, that he went there. You know what I mean? Same thing with LeBron going to Miami. Like, there were there were a couple reports, or there were a couple people saying that, but a lot of people didn't believe it until it actually happened. So I say all that to say, I just don't legitimately know, but I'm sure that there's some interest there. But if I'm Kyrie Irving, you know, I'm looking at I'm looking at the Knicks as an enticing option because of all the cap space and I could potentially play with Kevin Durant. The Nets seem ready for a star to join their team. The Lakers have LeBron James. And my conspiracy theory all year long has been that I think he's gonna go back to the Lakers and team up with LeBron again. So see, we were kind of just talking about this a second ago. We just we were just talking to a bunch of Kyrie uh with uh Alex, mm-hmm. our our previous guest on the pod, but you know, he was saying that um yeah, I, I was asking him if he thinks that the Celtic. He's pretty out on the Celtics, and I was like, if not the Knicks, who is it for you? And he said Brooklyn, but the name that I thought, or the team that I thought he was going to drop, was going to be the Lakers, and that's kind of the scenario that intrigued me and scared me the most. Oh, the, in most, some in weird, recent. twisted sort of way, it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, if you're the, if you're the Lakers at this point, I mean, exactly. what are you going to do? Like, it, I'm not sure guys want to play there necessarily. Now, if I'm the Knicks, and, you know, we've seen the reports all year long about, oh, you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie going to New York, Kevin Durant and Kyrie going to New York. If I'm the Knicks, I'm not so sure that I want that as much as, you know, I, I, I don't know what the arrangement is. I don't know if these two have an arrangement, these two meaning Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. But if they do have an arrangement, and if it's New York, I mean, then you're going to have to... <laughs> You're, if you really want Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving has to come with him, then you're going to do that. Now, if you're Brooklyn, it's a little more interesting because then, okay, you can't keep D'Angelo Russell then if you're going to sign both of them. So now you have to figure out what, what are you going to do? You're going to sign and trade him. You're going to just let him walk. Do you, you have to trade Alan Crabb? Who's going to take him on? Because a lot of people are going to try and get that J.R. Smith contract. So there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that are sort of up in the air. 
And if I'm the Lakers, what, look, once I heard midseason that LeBron James and Kyrie Irving sort of patched it up, I was like, oh, he's going to go to L.A. Like, he, you know what I mean? Like, as cynical as that may sound, I think he's going to go to the Lakers. Right. He's got, there's like a little bit of like a, can he make that whole thing right kind of, uh, you know, scenario, I think, playing out. But just going back to the Nets uh, quickly, there's the team has a ton of money that for the summer in cap holds right now. Yep. yep. Like there's, you have D'Angelo Russell, obviously, who we've spoken about, but you have, you know, Damari Carroll, who I imagine probably won't be returning to the team, Jared Dudley, who I, probably imagine won't be coming back for that number either if they can uh you know find a suitable replacement they likely will uh but guys like ronde hollis jefferson uh you know like alan williams to a degree like yeah even kind of ed davis i suppose too i I guess ronde is really the one that i'm most curious about here but where does he still factor into the nets plans at all like do you think that he is somebody they're going to try to retain or is is he better just is his spot kind of better used with cap space I'm not sure anybody you just mentioned will be back. As In fact, I would probably say that Jared Dudley could come back on a veteran's minimum of everybody there. Everyone else, I'm, I'm not so sure that they'd be back. And I think that whoever, you know, whatever cap space they sort of get from that, they're going to be patient and diligent and wait to use that because, you know, you have to see what happens with D'Angelo Russell. They're obviously going after these big free agents, so... You know how it kind of works is that the other guys, the role players, so to speak, they have to wait. They have to wait and see what's up, see how the market goes, see who goes where, see what's sort of left for them at the end. And at the end, I'm just not sure that they're going to have enough to keep like really any of those guys. Uh, Ronnie Hollis Jefferson, I'm not sure. You know, he, he was phased out. He had a good season last year, but then this past season he was, you know, banged up all year and he was sort of phased out by the end, wasn't really playing much. I don't really see him returning. I see him coming off the bench elsewhere. Ed Davis uh, might make a little too much money now because he did have a really good year. He was one of the best rebounders in the NBA by percentage, you know, his per 36 rebound numbers and things of that nature. So I I think that he's going to get a contract that's going to probably, you know, be more than what they would like to keep him for. And then as far as Damari Carroll, I'm not really sure. Jared Dudley, I think he's a veteran's minimum player at this point of his career. So I do think the Nets could bring him back under those conditions. But other than that, you know, a lot of these role players that they have uh, that, you know, who aren't signed, who are going to be free agents, I think they're probably going to leave because, uh, you know, the Nets are going to make some some ambitious moves uh, this offseason or at least try to and that they might be uh, out as a result. So just to follow up on that real quick, do you think the Nets are going to try to free up even more cap space? But I mean, like Alan Crabb is probably the obvious option, but other than him, like, are they pretty locked into the rest of the core that they have on this roster? Or do you see some, some players kind of being made more of a consequence of, you know, the Nets kind of have lofty goals this off season and they could be moved as, as a result of that. So when Spencer Dinwiddie signed his extension, I found it curious that, one of the sort of conditions in this contract was that he couldn't be traded for, you know, roughly the first six months of the deal. So basically, he still could be a part of a trade on draft night. I'm not saying that that's something that's likely. I'd actually be a little bit, you know, mildly surprised if that happens. But that's somebody that could be moved. And of the guys who are left over, that's probably your that's definitely your best trade chip, uh, considering that he signed for a couple more years. Uh, through 2021, 2022, if he takes a 12-year player option, which at that point 
if he you know keeps going at this rate, he won't take that and probably will opt for a bigger deal, more money, things of that nature. But that's somebody who could be used in a trade to get you, you know, I don't know, whatever it is you want to get. Then you have Joe Harris is going to be an expiring contract next year, $7.6 million. I doubt that they would trade him. They love him. But, you know, who knows? That's something that has value there. Alec Crabb would be the obvious one because nobody wants to pay him $18.5 million next year. But somebody's got to do it. And Brooklyn doesn't want to be the one to do it because, again, they're going to need space for free agency. But other than that, you know, I, you know, it's hard for me to say that Karis LeVert would be somebody that's going to be traded, you know. So Spencer Dinwiddie's contract is very, very team friendly, which means it'll be team friendly for Brooklyn or team friendly for somebody else who wants to try and trade. for how, how would you tier the Sun, the, the Suns, the Nets younger players? Hmm. Uh, as far as what? Like. Like, I guess if you were to rank the like. Who would you say the top prospect on the team is necessarily? I guess just kind of go go down the line from there. Like, do you think that, like, what what kind of a gap exists between the the talent on the Nets and how they could stack up with like the team's expectations moving forward? That, it's interesting because like, I don't think Milwaukee is going anywhere, even though they have a bunch of expiring contracts, and that's a team that the Mets that the Nets you know match up terribly with. You know, just given the length and the things of that nature, which is, you know, another reason why, obviously, they would want Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard, who wouldn't. But they do need guys who are longer and who can help compete with them at that level. I think Philadelphia, if they had a little more depth, they probably could have swept Brooklyn. But, you know, Philly's just so young. Jimmy Butler helped them. But I don't know how well they're going to match up with them moving forward. And as far as their young players go, I mean, you know, Karis LeVert was their best player until he got hurt. And it was a brief period of time, but he was their best player on both sides of the ball. He was their best perimeter defender, and he was their best scorer, averaging about 20 points a game uh, until he got hurt against Golden State. And then the very next game, he had the the traumatic injury, which set him back for three months. But he looked like he was going to be an all-star. And if he could stay healthy for a season, maybe you get that. And if you keep D'Angelo Russell, who was already an all-star this year, uh, maybe you have two all-stars. And you can bring somebody else to compliment them. And then that'll sort of change up where they project moving forward. But those those upper echelon teams in the East, look, I still think Kawhi Leonard could stay in Toronto. And it'd be pretty cool if he does. So let's say that he does. Then I don't know what the Nets could do other than obviously a big splashy move like a Kevin Durant that would sort of immediately put them up there because the East would be so stacked at the top. And a lot of those other teams, you know, I don't know how much shuffling they're going to do. And then you also have to wait and see, like, you know, what happens with Boston, things of that nature. I don't think Kyrie's coming back, but, I mean, <laughs> that might be good for them because they were better without him to begin with. So I guess the, the very last thing, and we'll get you out of here after this, but two guys that really intrigued me on the on the Nets and that, and that kind of young core that we don't hear too much about, even just over across, you know, across the river is um, Rodion Kurix and... Uh, Jared Allen, where do where do those two players stand in your eyes? Like for the for the franchise, do you think that the Nets front office and you know do you think they overvalue or undervalue those players at all? Like where do you see them kind of fe- uh, featuring into Brooklyn's plan? Oh, uh, I think they're appropriately valued. I do think that 
they both can be well Jared Allen's a starter already but I think Rodeo's Karuch is somebody who could you know he was a rookie starter and he could start games for for them if they do strike out at free agency if they do strike out at free agency you might be looking at a starting lineup of D'Angelo Russell um you know Karis LeVert Karuch is there somewhere Jared Allen and Joe Harris you know what I mean it, and Net fans probably don't want to hear that, but it's true. Like, that's what you're looking at if you probably strike out a free agency, unless striking out also means you get somebody like Tobias Harris, in which case Rodion Skarouks will have a prominent role off the bench. But I think those are two guys that they can sort of build with, but they're not star players, I don't think. They're more complementary pieces to guys who you want to become star players. So Jared Allen, you know, is the rim runner. He's, he's not a great defensive player yet. I know he has a reputation of being a great shot blocker, but it's different because, like, when you watch net games, he's getting muscled around by, you know, bigger centers, Miles Turner, Joel Embiid, et cetera, et cetera. He has repeatedly said that he wants to put on muscle, which we all could see that that needs to be the case. And when that eventually happens, then you could be looking at somebody who's a very good defensive center because he has the tools, you know, to do that. And he's already a very good shot blocker. He's a good rim protector. But you know, will he become somebody who's an all defensive type of center or just a really good center at the NBA level that can also finish around the rim and that can give him some strength? So those are two interesting pieces who they could also use for, you know, if they if they do. We haven't talked about this yet, but if they do want to try and get that Anthony Davis, uh, if they do want to try and make that trade, I feel like they have the pieces to pull that off. Now, do they want to potentially have to part with somebody like Karis LeVert? I'm not sure. But Jared Allen and Rodion Skarouks are two guys that you're throwing in that deal uh, along with some other pieces. But I'm not saying that that's something that's going to happen. But if they did want to try to pull the trigger on that, then they would. those are two of the guys they would use to make that happen. They would have to. That's an interesting package. I, I, I think that I haven't really considered it too much up to this point, but I do think that um, I, I, th- I believe it would have to involve Karis LeVert just you know for the sake of matching like, what the the Knicks or the Lakers or the Celtics could potentially offer with their packages, but I, I it's interesting because I think Levert, Allen, and uh, and and Karuks is kind of just like a package that I think that stacks up to pretty much every other one that we've yeah, thrown uh, around like, so far. Karis Levert's name is not getting out there in these kind of talks. No one's really talking about that, so that's why it's not really being talked about. But I mean, I sort of thought of this, and I was like, if they would be willing to do it then that would be the way to do it. Now, if you're the Nets, do you want to necessarily pull the trigger on that without having a long-term commitment with Anthony Davis? Would he be coming with somebody else that you would aspire to get a free agency, like a Kyrie Irving or a Kemba Walker or Kevin Durant or whoever that is? Don't know, don't know, don't know. But if they would be willing to part with Karis LeVert, that could probably, you know, you could probably make that happen. Now, if you're New Orleans, you're definitely asking for Karis LeVert. You know what I mean? Like, you're definitely... You, you're asking for Levert. You want Jared Allen. You want Caruso. You want a first-round pick. You know, you might want Dinwiddie. Like, this is Anthony Davis, regardless if he's on the final year of his contract. So, I mean, that's something that I'm not sure it's 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 going to happen, obviously. But if they could explore that, if they wanted to explore that, rather, then they do have the pieces to do so. So, I I would be a little bit nervous about paying Levert's next contract, and I like mm-hmm. I, that's nothing about him as a player. He busted. He he basically missed two full college seasons at Michigan because of foot injuries. It took the Nets brought him along really slow at the beginning because of those foot injuries, and then he suffered another lower leg injury this year. So he was awesome when he's healthy, 
but there's some like that's being a team that pays him four years, whatever million you can, or five years if it's his own team resigning him. Right. I'd I'd have a little trepidation towards that. Yeah, I don't disagree with that either. He had three foot surgeries in college. He missed a lot of time, as you said. And I like to bring this up because I remember being shocked on draft night. And a lot of people were because he was drafted uh, 20th or 22nd overall. I forget the actual pick. I think it was 20th. Because, but that was the pick that they got from a trade involving Thaddeus Young, who they sent to Indiana. And they didn't have a first-round pick because this is when Boston was still getting basically all their draft picks. And I think Boston subsequently got Jalen Brown in that same draft at like third overall or something like that, right? So with Karis LeVert, he was somebody that was supposed to be projected late in the second round of that draft because of those injuries. And then the Nets shocked everybody and took him in the first round. Um, And since then, he's been very good when he's played. But even so, like he has had those injuries. He's been healthy for the most part, other than the freak injury uh, this season, he was healthy for the most part. He did start his first NBA season late, but then the second NBA season, he played uh, 71 games. And after his first NBA season where he did start late, he played most of that season as well, injury-free. Uh, you know, a couple things here and there. But then this year with the big injury, to me, that was a little different because that didn't require a surgery. That was just sort of a freak injury. But I don't disagree when you say this is something that would worry you going forward. And, you know, a long-term commitment you know, I would like to wait and see what, you know, if I'm the Nets, I would like to wait and see if he could stay uh, healthy for this season. Um, but if they did want to sign him to a contract extension, maybe maybe there's something that they can agree to that's that's friendly for both sides. I'm not sure. If I'm Karis LeVert, maybe I do want that long-term security and I want to approach the team now. The only thing is he doesn't really have leverage, even though he did play well. He was probably the best player in the playoffs. You can uh, listen to Brian on the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. Uh, how often does that uh, show come out for you? Yes. Yeah, so, that weekly? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, usually, usually Mondays, but you know, it sometimes Saturday, sometimes Thursday. Like you know, Dexter and I are both busy, <laughs> so it's like we sort of just put it out when we can. But we usually try to drop once a week, and we just actually put out uh, episode eighty-one today. So y'all can check that out. Nice. Well, go check him out there. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Brian Fonseca and why Brian really appreciate you taking the time out tonight. Uh, yeah. Thanks again, man. Yep. Thanks guys. We'll do it again soon.